Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. Ryan Tansom, your host here. Today's guest name is Tana Green. I absolutely had so much fun talking to Tana. I couldn't wait to get her on the show because she's done some things that are way unique for an entrepreneur. She's used her business and her empire that she's built as a platform to really chase her dreams as an individual and to pursue a life of happiness and joy and to be able to change others' lives. So a little bit of uh, background on, on Tana is she's the co-founder of The Green Group, where she's got over 10,000 employees in the staffing and recruiting industry. She's on the board of directors of The Safe Alliance, which is all about helping people in domestic violence and healthy relationships. She's an author of a book called Creating a World of Difference, and it's so fun listening to her talk because she's really been chasing her passion and her dreams since she and her husband went through the Halftime Institute, which you've probably heard us talk about before. So not only has she been changing the world, changing her employees and using her company and her connections as a platform, but she's also continuing to be a serial entrepreneur because she's about two years into a new startup where she thinks she can really help change the trucking and transportation industry. So many things we talked about. She gives us a ton of insight about how she went from the transition to running her company to being more the figurehead and pursuing her dreams to help change people's lives. So without further ado, here's my interview with Tana Green. Good morning, Tana. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you? Doing great. I am really excited that you were able to come on the, the show today. You've got an awesome story, and I came about your... Uh, connection through Lloyd who has came up on our podcast a couple times recently not only from his interview but a couple other individuals in the halftime and you have a interesting background because a lot of our um, a lot of our interviewees have sold their company or their consultants and you took a different approach and kind of reinvented yourself so if you can just give our listeners a backdrop of kind of a little bit of your background and kind of some major milestones to how you got to where you are today okay um I guess the best thing is to start with the early years because that really formed who I am today. Um, I grew up in uh, Virginia and I grew up in a leave it to beaver family. We were, um, you know, had an older brother. I had a mother that didn't work. My father was an officer in the military and we lived this perfect little life. And I was the um, president of the principals committee and I was honor roll student and I was the chaplain when you had an elected position called chaplain in high school. And I got to ninth grade and um, life was great. And Mr. Popular decided that I was the one he wanted to date. So by the summer of the, um, between my ninth and 10th year of uh, high school, I, I got pregnant. And coming from a Christian family, the first thing we did was walk down the aisle two weeks later in a white dress. And things were supposed to be perfect. And we were supposed to go off and live in this white picket fence and have this child and everybody be happy. And I found myself in a domestic violence relationship. And by 17, I had left him. I'd only had a ninth grade education. 
And um, I'm sitting there thinking, what's what is the rest of my life look like? So at that point, I wrote four goals on a piece of paper. I said, I'm going to finish school. I'm going to own my own home by the time I'm 25. I'm going to own my own business by the time I'm 30. And I'm going to marry a knight in shining armor somewhere in there. <laughs> so my path was I bought my first house at 20. I finished school. I bought my first house at 22. I married the knight in shining armor, which we're celebrating 32 years in a month. Yeah, uh, at 26, and I opened the doors of my current business at 29. So I accomplished all those goals, and everything's going along great. And um, my son was 10 when I got married, and 10 years later, we had my daughter. So I had children 20 years apart, and the business was growing. It was going from $8 million to $18 million to grow, 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 and then 9-11 hit. Well, when 9-11 hit... We, I mean, held on by a thread because everything we had, we were in the staffing business and we were doing manufacturing and industrial. Well, what's the first thing they cut is temporary labor. Mm -hmm. So half of our business was just gone overnight. And we sat there and we went through the struggles of rebuilding our business all over again. And at the same time, we had been a franchise and that franchise agreement ended. So we had threats all around that. And literally, after 15 years of working hard, we thought everything was gone. Wow. Well, we pulled through that. I said it was like changing engines in midstream <laughs> from an airplane. But we did it. We pulled it off, and we went along, and things were good again. And, you know, it was probably 2000, I want to say, three, when things were back to normal. And I'm, for some reason, I couldn't stop watching that show um, extreme home makeover, you know, the one where they take yeah. the family and they build their house. And I would sit there and I would sob. And it was, it was almost a joke in the household. My daughter would get the box of Kleenex on Sunday <laughs> night and go sit it in front of me and go here, mom, cause I know you're going to need it. And I kept saying to myself, what am I missing? I mean, I had everything. We had rebounded. We had a beautiful home on the lake. I had my family was Everybody was in a great place, and yet I'm sitting here crying on a Sunday night, and I said, something is missing. And I'd always been a Christian. I had my faith. So all that was intact, but I'm going, there's something not right here. So I'm a little type A, if you haven't noticed. So I decided <laughs> that I was going to buy every book I could find out there on happiness because I was going to figure out the, the key to success with that. So... It took me, and I hired a coach, and I remember in one of the sessions, she says to me, she goes, well, what do you do for a hobby? I'm thinking, hobby? Are you kidding? I'm running a business, and, I, and I I'm recruit. a mother. I said, that's not <laughs> When do I have time to be a hobby? And she says, okay, you're retired. What are you doing? And I said, I'm painting. And she said, painting? I said, yeah, I've always wanted to oil paint. And she said, well, then I want you to go sign up for a class. So I thought, this is it. I've been needing a hobby. So I joined these classes, and I'm I'm not painting an 8 by 10. I'm painting them so big they don't fit in your SUV. Like I said, I'm a little type A. So I'm doing giant oil paintings, you know, and, all, and I'm finding that I'm giving them away or they're hanging in my office. Or But once the glaze was on them, it was like, okay, that joy is gone. And at the same time, I'm landing business. I'm going from $20 million to $30 million to $40 million to $50 million. You know what, though, that didn't last. It, it, it wasn't there. 
It just wasn't there. Well, in that in-between time, a friend of mine's daughter came to me and she said, she's in a private school, and she said, we're studying healthy relationships. Could you come speak to my class? And I'm thinking, why are you asking me to come <laughs> speak to your class? Are you kidding me? And she says, because I know what you went through. And it wasn't a healthy relationship. And I thought, I'd never really spoken out about this. I kind of almost was embarrassed to tell the story of what I had been through because I thought people would think less of me, that I quit school, that I had a baby, that I didn't go to college, all these things. And so I agreed to do it. Well, when I spoke, I called the local shelter because I'm like, I don't understand the statistics or how to get, what if somebody comes to me and they're in that situation? I don't know how to get them help. I just know what I went through. So Mm -hmm. I ended up getting the director of one of the largest uh, domestic violence centers in the country here in Charlotte. And she said, I'll go with you. Well, that kind of started my journey, really understanding what joy was. And that was all of a sudden I'm serving others. And I went, wow, this feels good. So I helped build, I helped raise $10 million to build the shelter for the center. I became their spokesperson. Every time they had a, um, a press uh, conference, they asked me to come tell my story. I was on the news. People were writing about it. I was doing interviews. And every time I did that, I just got this sense of just fulfillment beyond belief. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, it's as simple as that serving others is where joy is. So I took that into my business platform and I said, you know what? I want every employee we touch, whether they stay with us or they leave us, to understand their purpose in life and how it relates to what they do every day. So we became a culture of this company that raises great leaders and it became all apparent to me that that's where it is. It really is about, and it doesn't matter how, it can be as simple as using somebody's name at the McDonald's or Mm -hmm. at the Harris Teeter or wherever you are, just looking at somebody in the eye and making them feel good that day or taking my leaders. They all take a strength finder test. They all, um, I have a book called Creating a World of Difference. They read that. They understand what I'm about. Then we help them through a process to understand what their purpose is. Once they understand their strengths and what they're here, and they can relate that to business. First of all, my productivity went up. My sales went up. I have happier people. Um, Everybody is in the same boat working toward life and joy. And that was uh, now that is a 29 year journey. I just all said it all in what 10 minutes. <laughs> but this was a this has been a process and I continue to grow myself. Every time I help somebody understand their purpose, I get even more clarity in mine. So through that, uh, all of the searching and trying to figure out what is it that brings us that just like you, Ryan, and what you're doing, you're sharing stories with others in hope that they connect to that joy. And mm-hmm. that that's what we're here for. So that story is exactly why I'm glad you're on this show, because it you have been able to find it. And I, I, I've found it challenging as I'm bringing guests on who have really reinvented and found their passion and purpose and you've changed so many lives and 
through the connections and through the platform you've built. And you know some of the parts in the journey I want to kind of dive into because um, through Lloyd and through some of the stories I'd heard, like, kind of explain uh, to us as you, I mean, you had this big business that you had rebounded, so you obviously you put a lot of work in over the 9-11, but then you were able to create and raise $10 million, build a build a shelter and become a spokesperson. How did that transition work and how did you decide to keep the company or sell the company? Because I think as I mentioned a little bit before we started is a lot of owners think that they just have to pull the ripcord and just now go hand out lunches. Yeah. And how did you kind of walk us through that transition? Well, it was interesting because I connected with Halftime, which is Lloyd Reed that you've had on the show. And he spoke at an event that my accounting firm had, go figure. And I'll never forget, he stood up there. I can only imagine, sorry, can only imagine <laughs> that audience and Lloyd talking to a bunch of accountants. <laughs> right. Well, what it was was this accounting firm brought in owners of businesses because they knew what Lloyd was about. It was about transitioning your life at halftime for executives. So it was kind of a free thing to say thank you to their clientele and they had him come speak and I didn't know Lloyd. I didn't know where he was from. I didn't know anything about him. I just know he stood up there and he talked about uh, creating probes before you exit create probes to find out what it is you should be doing. Don't leave your platform. Use your platform to springboard off to the next thing. And I heard him and I thought, because I will tell you that I grew up in a southern town um, with a, a Christian family, and I somewhere along the way got this message that money was evil, money does not bring happiness, and truly, I thought I had to get out of business to go find my calling. Hmm. So for years, I pushed myself to grow this business, grow this business, to sell it so I could do my calling. Well, I realized, and when I heard him speak, and oh my gosh, I guess this has been eight plus years ago now, I, I sent him an email. I didn't know where he was. I thought he was in Dallas. And I said, I'd like to talk to you more about this thing you're talking about, a probing or finding it where you are. And he said, well, let's have coffee. And I'm like, well, where are you? <laughs> well, come to find out he lives one exit from me. In no town. way. <laughs> yes. So we got together and then he says, hey, I'm going to start a round table for couples that are looking for halftime for their next thing. Would you and your husband like to participate? And I said, absolutely. You know, I was all over that. What did you, did we, you commit before your husband knew what was going on? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so I came home and I told him that. He goes, great. Sounds good to me. He was always game. So we went and it was a year long program that we went through mapping our lives. And it was the big aha moment in there that I have not been using my talents and my gifts right where I was within my platform. And that I didn't have to go off somewhere else to do it. I didn't have to sell my business to do it. So we, we dedicated 2% of every dollar that comes in to a, um, a foundation called Creating a World of Difference, which is my book as well. And through that, we give back all over the country where we have offices. We're in 26 states, and when there's a need somewhere or we want to sponsor something, we go to that pool of money to do that. So I realized I didn't have to leave where I was, and I have truly found joy in staying where I am now. I'm not going to say there's a silver bullet. Once you find joy, you have to continue 
multiple times in a day to stay focused on that because it's so easy to get off track. That's, it's such an amazing story. And can you, you know, this, this word platform kind of gets thrown around and, yeah. you know, as you're, as you're mapping out your life and mm -hmm. you're, when did you, and how did you realize that you had this platform, quote unquote, and if, can you, can I kind of explain how you've leveraged that and where you see the difference of why you wouldn't, like if you would have sold, how that would have changed the outcome? Yeah, I think that because I had, last year I had 10,000 employees. No and I way. thought, wow. wow, I don't think I could find that big of a platform outside of my group. And how can I help each one of these in their journey to find even a little bit of joy in their life? I mean, there are people that are, when you're in pain or you have fear, you can't have joy and love because they can't exist in the same space. And it's like, how can I get this message to people um, right under my own nose. I do, and, and I think too many times we think it has to be outside of our realm. And it was right there all along. And Lloyd was really the one that pointed it out. He goes, why can't it be right where you are? And I went, what do you mean right where I am? <laughs> and he goes, you, you have all these people that you can affect their lives. And I went, oh, okay. I don't have to go stand at a soup kitchen and affect five people today or 20 people today. I got 10,000 across the country I can be affecting. So we're continuing to try to find ways to push the ones that work directly for me that are within my, the temporaries are harder to reach, but the ones that are within us, I have really been able to affect change with. And even though they've left the company, I always get notes back to them telling me about their journey and where they are. And Lloyd encouraged me to keep a keep an electronic booklet of every thank you note, of every email that comes in <clears throat> that confirms what I'm doing. Because a lot of times you forget how you're affecting people because you're driving so hard. Mm -hmm. And I open that. I, he tells me to open it on New Year's Day. Well, usually it's somewhere around New Year's Day. And I look back at the previous year and I go, wow, OK, I get it. I get it now. So that drives me to move forward and continue. And since then, I have launched another business, um, which is um, it's a platform. It's a marketplace for matching truck drivers to opportunities so um, taking uh, it to another level. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I, and I love the fact that you go back and you look because um, just a little background. It, it, I know what you mean when you're driving so hard. And um, I watched me and my dad both kind of yeah. go through that. He was like the most generous person on the planet. He still is. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is you give, 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 give. And then all of a sudden you kind of hit the pendulum and swung. And he kind of became a little cynical because people took, took, yeah. took. And oh, yes. forgot to look at all the people's lives, he did change. So, you know, you kind of, he actually, our, our uh, mentality, because we were a sales organization is, great, you sold that, uh, what are you gonna do for me today? <laughs> so <it's>, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so going back and actually reflecting is, is super important. So I love that little tidbit. You know, to go back to, you know, when you're mapping your life and you're going through that couple's uh, halftime, how did you decide, like, where did, where did you start? I mean, because, okay, you have this epiphany. You've got this large company. Like, what did you do first? What I did first was have everybody take a strength finder because that's the first thing I did. First thing I did, first thing Lloyd had me do is take a strength finder 2.0, it's called. 
Um, if you buy the little book for, I think, $17, it has the key in the back that allows you to go take the test, and it tells you about your top five strengths. And when I really started studying my strengths, and I was able to take those and put them into what I did every day, and then from there, I went through a process of understanding what what was my purpose, um, why am I here, and really and truly, my, my purpose is to ignite joy, period. That That is what I'm here for. I know that it's to motivate, to inspire, but igniting joy in everybody's path that I cross is my reason for being here. Then if I took my top strengths, which is I'm a connector, so how do I put that into play with what I do? And connector being able to bring employees to the business, being able to bring money to the business, um, connecting clients to other clients that need things. I realized, oh, I'm not using that, and that's my number one strength. And number two is futurist, so Mm. I'm always out there, which is good and bad. And then I'm a maximizer, and I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? It means that I have to take everything to the nth degree. That's that type A. That's that I got to uncover everything. Your eight-foot paintings. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, But once you see this picture of yourself, you go, oh, wow, okay. Now I know why I do that in business. Now I know why I do that personally. And it also helps in your relationships because when you sit down and look at each other's strengths, you go, okay, well, now I get why you act like that or you do that because it is your strength. And your strengths don't change over your life. Once you take this, it is going to be with you forever. Yeah, I love it. I've taken that a couple times. And the, the, Have you? Yeah, they're, um, they're pretty much all – I mean, I've taken a couple times. I want to say like one switched – or something like that uh-huh. and I'm, uh-huh. I'm pretty much the same as yours I think I was connectors uh, futurist strategists and achiever or and then uh-huh. I don't know there was something something in there I can't remember what the fourth one was but yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's a definitely an, an eye-opening experience it, it, it really is and one of mine's positivity which ultimately you can tell I'm yeah, can definitely tell. off the charts <laughs> <laughs> um so a question for you Tana is like okay so as you're going through the I mean you did a fantastic job of doing a lot of introspective work, um, which I think males have a lot more difficult with. Um, yes. Because they they like the quantitative, like the profit reports, the the P&L. It's a lot easier to measure the scorecard, and uh, it's a little bit more, more difficult to look in the mirror. Um, so not, because you did the hardest part first and you started to plan out where you wanted to, where, where you wanted to make these changes, what did you do in your company to make it, like, where did you fit into the, the operations? Like, was it everything, re- like, heavily reliant on you? Did you did you have to do some technical work to get yourself out to be able to, you know, help uh, with some of these more uh, broad-based goals? Um, I would say that, you know, it all starts from your leadership team. It has, your inner circle has to believe in what you believe in. And they have to be the catalyst that goes out and makes the change. You can't do it all. So the, the key is what, who is in your inner circle and do they have the ability to take that message out and do, can they create teams that take that message out? Because I don't think I could survive trying to be the one that got that out to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it's a process. I think it's, again, you, you make sure everybody goes through a certain process to reach that level but you really have to rely on your inner circle to drive that out. I mean, I, I do make uh, appearances and we have group meetings and things like that. But 
I can't affect the change every day like my leaders can. Mm -hmm. So the key is the right leaders. So when you came back and you told them, and I think uh, I've you know from talking to others, where what it, you know I'm, well, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this. So like all of our old employees or the people that I know were like the worst case scenarios, like when the employees mm -hmm. would go see you go to a new trade show or a new consultant would come in and you'd have a brand new idea <laughs> and so mm -hmm. drag all the, the leaders in. You say, hey, by the way, there's this really great thing we're going to be doing that kind of roll their eyes or you uh -huh. know, it all, all comes down to consistency and execution going forward. But how did you deliver the kind of the pivot change for them? I mean, what were the conversations like? You know, I, I really think it just, you start small. I, I don't, think I came in and started just, you know, this is what we're going to do. And blah, 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 blah. I think it was, I think it was, uh, let's start with one thing. Let's just do the strength finder. And let's, we, we even posted on our shared drive today, every employee in the company across the country is strength finders up there. And, uh, we have discussions, we have monthly discussions. And when new people come on, they get put in groups and they talk about this. So it was small changes that can be consistent mm -hmm. across the board. Um, they're all given my book, whether they read it or not, I don't know, but I think so. Cause I get a lot of messages back. So well, I sign a, I sign a book for everybody and it goes out in their welcome packages. And then, um, you know, from there, it's just, it's, it's understanding what you do every day and how it makes a difference. And I, I had to change out leaders. The hardest thing I had to do in going with this model is, I had to make changes. I had to change leaders that would embrace this and drive it. And it's like you said, some people think that that's all fluff, mm -hmm. that there's no ROI to it. There's a lot of studies out there that have proven if the culture is built right, your ROI is much bigger than one that's built on fear. Mm -hmm. Have you read uh, uh, Tony Shea's Zappos Delivering Happiness? Absolutely. I've seen him in person. Oh, and you fact, lucky. In fact, two of my HR people are going there to do their workshop I love uh, it. next month. Yes, yes. I love it. I love it. I love favorite, it. <laughs> favorite quote of the book is when, uh, you know, because, they, I mean, he lives and breathes this. And actually, that was part of the ways that we helped kind of turn around our, our companies. We read that book. And it was yeah. the... Uh, what, what he called his service or his customer service team. They ordered him a pizza at like two in the morning. and uh, <laughs> But then... Uh, he had what he he was getting a lot of flat, uh, a lot of crap from his um from his board of directors I think it was because they said it was Tony Shea's you know psychology project and then all of a sudden it really worked because there was no way uh -huh. to like actually quantify it. Yeah, mine had a name. It was called witchcraft. Witchcraft, huh? There she goes with her witchcraft again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they believe it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit about the book. Like, where did you like? And you, where did the inspiration come from? At what point in the timeline did you write it? Because obviously it's a great tool for your employees and like what you stand for now, but kind of give us a little bit of a story around it. Yeah, well, once I started speaking about the domestic violence, I needed something to go along with my platform that would encourage. So I wanted something that was inspirational, especially to leave behind if I spoke at a shelter um, and for, to, to really help these women understand you can do anything you decide to do. And I speak to a lot of high school um, girls about healthy relationships and college level as well. I don't do as much of that as I used to because I'm just so busy with the startup. But it really, it was the platform. It was the, I need to tell my story so other people can rise above if they have adversity in their lives. And so 
I started um, outlining that book probably 15 years ago, and I didn't actually have it printed till 2012. Um, It was interesting. I had it completely written, had it edited, ready to go, and I wanted to paint a painting for the cover. Well, the publisher kept calling, going, you've got to finish the artwork. You've got to finish. And I couldn't get inspired. I just couldn't. I sat on that for four months. And I finally just one day sat down and said, that's it. And I just painted this globe of bright colors. And I said, that's it. I love it. But it's, but what my point is telling you that is what I want people to say, is, you don't just decide something and it just magically happens. Sometimes it takes time to unfold my favorite saying and I don't know who said it except Morgan Freeman and I don't think he came up with it but it was the universe is unfolding as it should and sometimes we get so caught especially a futurist get so caught up in driving so hard that we have to sometimes step back and say that might not be the time for that or if we get disappointed by something it's like but I'm doing everything right why is that happening And I think that is probably the hardest lesson is faith during those times. And it's not all rosy. I mean, not every day is going to be perfect, even when you find that place. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think euphoria comes from if you have faith or if you have a certain religion or if you have success that you're going to have this. You work at it every day till the day you die. Well, I think it's even more challenging for entrepreneurs who are typically type A like you and I, where you Mm -hmm. do it because Mm -hmm. you like control. Yes, yes. (laughs) So you have this like complete blindness to the the, the fact that you think you can control everything when totally in reality, you know, you have zero. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's the hardest lesson. You're right. (laughs) So, you know, as you have built this platform for your business, you've got another startup, you've got all these things that you're helping uh, in the domestic violence uh, area. What, you know, some of the technical stuff, I think um, the listeners that I run into and our clients were, okay, so then there's no planning. Like, okay, I'm gonna keep the company. So what are some of the things that you've done to set yourself maybe technically up for like a transition or, because there's there's this whole blindness, I think, in 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 the entrepreneurship space where, we just run hard and we go and then all of a sudden there's a triggering event that happens that all of a sudden we haven't done the necessary planning ahead of time. So how is there certain things that you've done with your companies and your foundations to set yourself, set yourself up so that way you can leave a legacy as, as you continue to do progress into other areas? Well, at this point, um, the staffing industry is 29 years old now and, um, it's at the point where, um, it's, it's probably going to, I'm probably going to exit that in the next year or two. Um, and then move strictly into this other space um, with the marketplace. So I see that occurring, but I can't see, I haven't seen yet where the next phase is on that. Um, I'm not that strategic planner that thinks way out. Um, So I don't know that I really have an answer to your question. And maybe it's because I'm just so uh, joyful where I am right now that I don't want to see beyond that. <laughs> no, I think that's a, I think that's a super real reality to a lot of entrepreneurs because yeah. if you find this balance of the joy and the and the 
the the love for what you do, like what you're doing, it's hard to plan for the different scenarios. I mean, it's because right. why you don't want to, <laughs> you totally right. don't want to, you don't want to come to the reality that it might change. Right. And sometimes you, and I, and I've been facing this issue myself lately is, is because, I mean, I'm not getting younger. <laughs> so it's like, okay, at what point is this what defines me? And mm-hmm. I have to be extremely careful not to let this platform define me. That no matter what happens, I have my platform that can go anywhere. So part of that is I'm working on my next book um, so that when I do exit all of this, I continue my work. Um, I'm not sure if I have pure clarity around that yet, but I do know that if if you think that your platform defines you, you're going to be stuck. Well, I think that's the... You know, the identity of most entrepreneurs are tied very into their business. Um, and Bo Burlingham's book that you and I are talking about, Finish Big. Um, and I experienced this, and I know my dad totally did, where when someone says after you sell your company, like, what do you do? And this is the yeah. wor- worst question you can get. Yes. You're like, well, I'll tell you what I used to do. <laughs> I'm not really yeah, sure it, who I am. Right. Because it's what defines you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like um, I am Mike's wife. That defines me. Um, I'm the CEO of the Green Group. That defines me. But finding that personal definition of me is always. Um, I think it's always out there. I don't. I I don't know that I'll ever have pure clarity around it. I know that I'm working on it, and I know that it is something I need to face. Um, but I'm not sure I have an answer for it yet for you. Maybe no. a year we'll get back together and I'll have one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. And, and even if you find it, it'll always be changing, right? Did, did uh, Lloyd ask you? And I don't know if it was Lloyd that came up with it. I brought this up on my various episodes. My listeners yeah. are probably upset. But like the, this, this question that I absolutely love, it came from either Peter Drucker or Bob or Lloyd or someone in the, the, those circles where if you had the perfect life, what mm-hmm. would it look like? Did you get asked that question as you were going through the halftime or the process that you were going through? Yeah, that's where I decided I needed to t- do the art thing because part of that life was doing art. So, um, but it's still that's a very that's very hard to define. It's kind of like when you're when you're launching a product and you go out and ask people what they want. Nobody's ever going to tell you ever that they want a minivan. But when you get more than two kids, you're going to own a minivan, okay? So I don't think – I think it's very hard for the human nature to be able to really define what you want. You can say what you don't want, but I think it's very hard for us to define what we want. When people ask you to do that, it's like that's very hard. It's more of a feeling that I have to have more than it is an outwardly plan or a thing that I can touch and see. Does that make sense? Oh no, I totally <laughs> okay. agree. Because and that's and that's why it's so difficult because um, business is such a a platform for yeah. like the very detailed stuff. Like I said, the quarterly reports, the winning client, you know, winning clients, the acquisitions, the it's very you know very measurable stuff versus right. looking in and going, okay, what do I actually like doing? And I think you know your your advice on the strength finders and trying to figure out what part of that stuff that you like is the most important part. And, yeah. you know, you had an interesting experience because you took your horrible experience as a, as a young adult and migrated that into your current passion. And I think not everybody is able to switch gears that fast, trying to figure out what exactly that they've got their calling for. 
You yeah. know, as you're, I mean, do you have any advice for our listeners or for anybody about, you know, if they haven't had some experience like that that, they, that shines out, how do they go about finding what that is? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because my, my, my husband is still trying to figure that out. And he says, sometimes I almost wish I had a tragedy so I'd have something to lean on. But, you know, because he didn't. He went through the perfect life right through college, right into work, <coughs> marriage, family. He's never had a divorce. He's never had, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's all been. And now he's just turned 65 and he's looking at his life and he's going, well, what is it? You know, I know what my strengths are. But where so he's still in the probe mode. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's gone out because he retired, semi retired. He handles some of our stuff still, but he's out. He coaches some. He, you know, works with the Humane Society. He does a lot of work with me at the shelter. Um, He's still trying to define that. And I think as long as you're on the journey to define it, you've got joy coming in because you're doing things. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, eventually, something will stand out and say, "Wow, this is it. This is what I'm looking for." I don't know that. I don't know that you have to have that big blinding moment of what it is. Mm-hmm. More than it's just that you're seeking, you're doing, and you're getting joy from that every time you do it. You're in the pursuit. You, you ever uh, heard of yeah. the, book, the book called The Happiness Advantage? Absolutely. So the, <laughs> you and I've read the same. Book. I love them, right? I know we could go back and bounce it back, bounce a bunch back and forth. That what, what? So Shana Cora's definition is what? It's not the joy of pleasure, but it's the joy we feel in the pursuit of our full it's, potential. Yes, it's the journey. It's the. the journey. It's it, yeah. It is the journey. It is the journey, and I think. Some people look at people who like with me and they go, wow, well, you just you had it. It, it all it was all right there for you. And it's like, well, no, I mean, it wasn't there. You mm-hmm. had to find it. You had to define it. You had to do something about it. And so it's all about being intentional about doing more than it is what it is. So if you're intentional about doing and then it kind of goes into that probing scenario, like what are some examples of probings that you did or your husband did or people that you know mm-hmm. that did? As they're trying, because I think Lloyd said he went and like was coaching prisoners for a long time. And <laughs> yeah, he's like, that yeah, didn't yeah. work. <laughs> so other than going and like sitting in a jail for a, a day, like what, what are some things that people could be doing? Well, you know what? I, one of the things I, I really had to get my arms around and that is, you know, some of us were um, meant to have the prosperity. And then com- what comes with that is a lot of uh, responsibility. <laughs> So when you have the means, you have a higher level of responsibility of what you do with those means. So what I like to, what I found myself doing, I'm not a doer. I tried going into the junior kids program with my daughter and, you know, played dodgeball. And (laughs) I tried, I went to the shelter and I did meals and I cleaned and I did all, and I was like, this is not me. Well, what I found is I now am a keynote to a lot of nonprofits when they're doing their fundraise, because what I try to tell people is, is it's just important to write that check as it is to go scrub that floor. Mm -hmm. And some of us were meant to do that. And you have to find joy in giving, even if it's just monetarily. Mm -hmm. So for me, I went through a lot of those. I mean, when, when we were doing the whole shelter you know, uh, in the beginning, I thought I was supposed to be working in the shelter. And I and I was like, why am I not finding connection here? I should be because I'm one-on-one with people in the same experience I was in. But then when I got into the group raising the $10 million funds, I'm like, 
heck, I'm a connector. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. I can do this. And so, so I had to find it that way as well. And, and what is, you know, I think, um, you know, because you had a direct um, topic or or like yeah. issue you were trying to, to work into, you know, for like your husband, I mean, I'm sure he's been challenged or anybody else where, how, where like, what charity do you call up? You know I mean? I think that's right. the biggest challenge. Like where, like, where do you even start? Like, do you call someone? I mean, and that's one question. My second question would be then is, how did you deal with being comfortable, being uncomfortable as you're trying to kind of reinvent yourself? Well, it's like you, we're doers. Um, we just dive in and we don't think sometimes. So <laughs> Sometimes that <laughs> I'm helps, speaking right? speaking for you, Ryan. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I no, think I've gotten I'm, to know you a little bit. Uh, but, um, you know, I think sometimes that, you know, you can't have, you can't sit back and go, well, uh, I don't know, I might not make it in that. People fear, what if I fail? Mm-hmm. So I think the fear of failure stops people from probing and trying. And I think that's one of my biggest messages to my staff is go out and do something. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's marching in the breast cancer thing. If it's, you know, if you know somebody who's had breast cancer, go get into a march or mm-hmm. do do anything that, you know, my husband loves animals. So he's on the board at the Humane Society now. So, you know, that gives him joy doing that. And he can take his risk and finance and help them with their numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you can find something that fits you somewhere, but you have to try. You have to go out and do it. No, I And would, I, I, would I think that's what Lloyd says, too, is is you really you just got to go do these low probes, he calls them. And eventually something sticks. Well, and that's so much easier to do while you've got a company too, which is why I, I loved why I loved your <laughs> yeah. story because when we sold, I mean, it, like my dad was all. I mean, I, I've told the story a couple of times to people where, you know, it was a strategic sale. So everybody in the morning, we we told everybody, and then the afternoon everybody went over to the competitor's office, oh, and we walked gee. through the twenty six thousand square foot building. And there's wires hanging from the wall, and you're just like. <gasps> Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Well, my dad went out went out back to the loading dock and was not. I mean, he was crying. It was just like this sucks. Sure. And I went home and I was just like, you just totally feel in shambles because you didn't get to do the low probes. <laughs> you know, right. The low probes right. are a heck of a lot less risky than that. And you always look back and say, what if, what if, what if? Well, if I'd done this or I'd done that, and that's the one thing that's hard. You just really can't look back. You've mm-hmm. got to look forward and say, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. But I don't. I think human nature continues to force us backwards too many times, and that that can stop you from moving forward. So, so tell what's me, your dad? Did your dad find something? Well, uh, so he's actually working with me now. You know, because oh, we so. didn't we didn't drive each other crazy enough while we were working together. So, <laughs> so, so he we've kind of got the same mission together. It's we want to go help entrepreneurs and owners figure this stuff out prior <laughs> you know what I mean? right. there's so many things introspectively and extrospectively if that's the right word that you got to do i mean it, that's where bo's book after we read that i was mm-hmm. like damn it i wish i would have read this book yeah. like two years ago <laughs> yeah i know i know but but you know what you're right where you're supposed to be you probably wouldn't have created what you created had you not gone through what you went through. Oh, I'd be it sitting. It may not an, have ever come out of that. Oh, I know. Trust me. Every day, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm not because I, I was um, had. I mean, I was running a lot of the operations, and then uh, I built out the outsourced IT. So I was sitting and staring at computer screens and looking at tickets right. and talking to people about how they hated their computers. And that's yeah. 
I'm really glad I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) Right. And now you're affecting change in people in such a positive way. It's unbelievable. And so as we kind of, what's going forward for you? I mean, you're a doer, you've got plans. So what, what is the, you know, foreseeable future look like for you? Well, I'm on a, I'm on a mission to change the title of a CEO. (laughs) (laughs) I ran across a gentleman by the name of Kevin McCarthy. He's written The On-Purpose Person, The On-Purpose Business Person, and he's now about to publish uh, from CEO to CLO. And it's all about being the chief leadership officer, which is what you and I have been talking about this whole hour. And for me, I'm going through it with him, with his manuscript, with his book, Hmm. and understanding what that is. And I would like to be the leader in that movement of just like there's this conscious capitalism going on out there that Whole Foods started. And it's all about doing the right thing by your people and creating um, value-based businesses. And for me, the CLO is critical to the future because that's where our businesses are going to grow. It's not from the old industrial age where you brought in as a CEO and that has a negative connotation of give me number, give me number to the mm-hmm. shareholders and move on and who cares who gets in the way. And uh, I think the future of business is going to be that chief leadership officer with creativity. It's no longer going to be that person that drives numbers. And we've seen it because of Enron, because of all of the negative things that have happened in our in our country because of the negative side of the CEO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, how do we change that? Change the title. <laughs> well, one, in, well in, change, you can change the title, but it's it's really the what comes with the title. I mean, I've read all, you know the Elon Musk book, the Amazon Everything Store by Jeff Bezos, and all. And they're, yeah. they they've created these massive empires, which is fantastic. But what are they actually? I mean, yes, they're changing the world. Don't get me wrong, but like, right. like do people like working for them? I mean, it's the Tony Shays of the world, right? How mm-hmm. can people go and feel like they're doing something that changes the world. I mean, I know that sounds super fluffy, but that's totally what people want. And uh, you had mentioned the conscious capitalism. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? I mean, I'm sure you are familiar with corporate uh, B corporations. Huh. So B corporations like uh, Tom's Shoes and uh, Patagonia were, it's, it, and I, I can't speak very technical about it, but they, stru- they restructure their whole corporation to a B corporation where their profits, you know, like uh, Tom's Shoes, I don't know what percentage of their profits go to their nonprofit. And it's, yeah. and it's a way that capitalism can actually fund specific changes in the world. Well, and that's, I guess that's what I did with um, creating a World of Difference Foundation. Mm-hmm. Well, so that, I didn't even know that. <laughs> well, that's why I was curious if you had ever, I wasn't sure if you were actually a B Corp or not because no. there's, there's, there's financial benefits to becoming that because you have like specific ties of, of, of your profits that go to your foundation or towards whatever it is that you're doing. And it's just a way different structure. And so like, if you go to, I don't know what the, the and I'll put it in the show notes for the listeners, but uh, bcorporations.com, there's like thousands of them. Like Patagonia, like it's oh, wow. people that you hadn't, hadn't really th- thought of before. So I, I thought of that because the chief leadership officer ties very uh, heavily into that whole philosophy. Wow, that that's really neat. And I'll connect you with Kevin too. Yeah, that, I'm really, I'd love to have him on the show. That's, uh, oh yeah. I like the, I, I like it because it's not, it, you know, the CEO, I, I do agree, is kind of like the top down management approach, which doesn't really work anymore anyways. No. 
no. And, you know, you've got to be right on the line with your team and humble and not, you know, it's not about ego or leadership or driving. I mean, you still have to drive results. You can't not drive results if you're a profit-driven company. But mm-hmm. but it's just done differently in a culture of, you know, growth and, you know, achievement as a team, not top-down anymore. Well, the, and the CEO used to be the guy that know, or the guy or gal that knows all the information and hoards it from everybody else, but it's just like yeah. in today's digital world, you, what, you do you, what do you know that no one else knows? It's kind of right. it's kind of just... And my big. organization's flat. I don't have the hierarchy. That must be I, nice. I don't, I don't have that because it just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So... We could probably keep going on for a long time. I, you yeah. know, as we as we kind of wrap up, what's one thing that you would leave our listeners with that we haven't touched on or that you want to make sure that we uh, really hit home with? I think I would say my favorite line is, this too shall pass. And I think the most important thing is to remember when you get into those hard spots or things don't seem to be going, you've got to sit back and say, this too shall pass and stay very clear on your vision. Um, because I think that is the thing that I wish somebody had told me early on. I got so caught up in the fear of the moment of something that I let go joy that was happening right under me. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to stop and take that breath and count to 10 and go, this too shall pass and get right back on track. I love it. And by the way, those 10 seconds are probably going to seem like an eternity. (laughs) (laughs) They do. They do. Dan, I, I thank you so much for coming on the show. If there's a way our listeners can get in touch with you, what's the best way? I think the best way to get in touch with me is through my email. And you can get me through um, Tana G at creatingaworldoddifference.com. Tana, thanks so, so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.